Amen. Amen. Good morning, Redemption Tempe. I have been assigned this task of preaching through 2 Samuel chapter 9. Before we go to the text, let me seek the Lord's help. Father God, I ask that you would bless your people this morning, that you would give them wisdom and understanding, that you would guard my lips, and that you would bless this time together. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My text this morning, if I were to choose a title, would be The Kingdom of Kindness. The Kingdom of Kindness. That God's kingdom is a kingdom of kindness. As I was working through the text, I I want you to hear and listen because even though this isn't an allegory, this isn't just a picture, but this is a true narrative of something that took place in history. But there are times when the portrait that is being painted for us, we would be or we would identify with David. There are times in this text where we would identify with Mephibosheth. There are times when God speaks to us as the author of kindness. Also want you to listen. If you are, by your own uh, definition, would be outside the family of faith, there is something here for you this morning. And if you are a Christian inside the faith, you have been brought near to God, there's something for you here this morning also. Now, to start this morning, I, I, I want to, to just lay out for you that I'm not necessarily a kind person. <laughs> Kindness is something that God did to me when I came to faith. I would ha- have been considered an unkind person by most definitions. Matter of fact, my longtime friend, we've been friends for over 40 years. I told him I was preaching a sermon on kindness, and he laughed. (laughs) He said, okay. But I have, since the Lord has come into my life, extended kindness. And I've been the recipient of kindness. I remember when... Uh, I pastored a church, many of you know, or, and, and at a, a certain point, the church ended. And when it ended, the first thing that happened, I, I, I had to get a job, right? And um, I remember thinking through, you know, what it was all about. God, was that something that you had me do? I mean, I tried everything to make sure that it was what he wanted me to do. And the church ended. And I remember I was, I was looking for work, and the Lord did bless me with the job pretty quickly. But there was a family in the church that for a year sent my wife every month and myself a pretty substantial check. 
That blessed us deeply. When you're looking for work and you think you were doing what God wants you to do, and now you're like, what am I going to do financially? And a couple just were being Christians and said, you know what? We're going to step in. We're going to step into this need, and we're going to bless them. Kindness. So we're going to talk about this morning that, that ours is a kingdom of kindness. That's what we do. That's who we are. Kindness, in a sense, beautifies the cross. Right? The world looks at the cross and they go, oh, my God, how can you Christians follow a faith that at the center is the cross, the crucifixion of your king? How can you follow that? That's like, that's like wearing an electric chair around your neck. It doesn't make sense to the world. But we know as followers of Christ that the cross is a picture of kindness for us. And then we extend as a picture of the kindness that we received from the, from the Lord, we extend that to the world so they know what the love of God looks like in a general way. We are like the flowers that spring from the soil of salvation that they can't see what happened in our hearts, but they can see our love and care for the world around us. We live in a kingdom of kindness. So when we talk about kindness, we are not talking about David being nice to someone. That's not what it is. What is being expressed here is the covenant love of God. The word is hesed. It's translated as steadfast love of God. Hesed is the idea of faithful love in action. And often in the Old Testament, it refers to God's loving kindness expressed in his covenant relationship with Israel his loyal love to his wife, his loyalty to covenant, God's has said. His persistent and unconditional tenderness, kindness, and mercy, a relationship which he seeks after man with love and mercy. Have you been the recipient of that love? If you have you should be joyful. You should look for opportunities to picture that love to the world. Kindness. And I'd like to put this just so we can, we can wrap our minds around this. Kindness is to niceness what joy is to happiness. Right? Kindness is not being nice. Being nice is giving a homeless guy five bucks. Being kind is something much different. It's like something happening to you. You winning the lottery or you getting a new job, that brings happiness, right? We'd all be happy if something happened to us, but joy is something different. Joy is something that the Lord brings to us that is not affected by outside circumstances, amen? Joy. Kindness. 
Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? I remember when we lived in Gilbert, there was an older guy. His name was Bob. Bob was 72 years old. He was a crotchety old guy. He's in construction from Detroit. He's like, if you look in the dictionary and look under Detroit, Bob's picture would be right there. Old school Detroit, right? Um, I can't find a good pastrami sandwich around here, Will. That's Bob. But Bob was that neighbor that you can always depend on. Bob was the neighbor that if I needed someone to help me move a refrigerator, Bob would be there. I remember I was talking to my wife. We were coming in. I forgot. Um, She surprised me when I was out of town. Bob helped her put a new toilet in our guest bathroom. I remember I came home from work, and Bob said, Will, I, I, uh, I got the ladder, and I trimmed your tree because your branches were on your roof, and you don't want them to pull your tiles up. That's Bob. Bob would watch our house when we went away on vacation. If we didn't tell him, he would stop us when we came home and was like, it took me two to three days to find out you guys were gone. Tell me next time. I'll watch your house. That was Bob. Bob was the guy that you can depend on. He was that good neighbor. So uh, there was something that Bob helped me with, and, and I remember I wanted to do something nice for Bob. So I said, I'm going to cook him dinner, right? Every Sunday, I always cooked a nice dinner. And so I said, I'm going, to, I'm going to make Bob dinner. So I just made him an extra plate, took it over, crossed the street, gave it to Bob. He was so grateful. He was so thankful. And I went home, and I remember telling my wife, I want to bless Bob. I'm going to cook Bob dinner every Sunday. And I did for 12 years. Bob was my friend. I didn't start off saying, let me cook cook dinner for him for 12 years. I just said, let me cook dinner for him this Sunday. And we'll make him a plate next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that. And what happened, niceness became kindness. Because Bob needed to eat, right? He needed a meal, so I said, I I love to cook. He was so appreciative. He was my biggest fan, you know. Whenever I cooked something up, I was like, man, I put my foot in this one. He's going to love this. He would tell me. He's like, Will, that was so good. And we would make him enough dinner for two dinners every week. And Bob would eat it all in one Sunday. (laughs) But I remember thinking about Bob and why it was really important what I was doing for him with these meals. It was the fellowship for sure. But I remember he would go to Detroit every Christmas. And I remember when he came home, his, his daughters had told him, they said, Dad, you take care of yourself. You make sure you eat. You got to watch your health. And he told them, he said, you know, I don't have to worry about that. There's a family across the street, and they make sure that I get one good meal a week. It was Bob. Bob died during COVID. He was about 80 years old. And not one time did I feel like I was doing anything for Bob. 
I was just cooking him dinner. But when Bob died, I was sad, but I was joyful because I thought about Bob and said, what a great opportunity it, it was these years to step into his life the way I was able to do, to cook him dinner, to show him love that no one else was doing anything. He couldn't even think of anybody that was getting any kind of treatment like that. And he always knew the reason that I did it, Bob, wasn't because you're a nice guy. You do nice things, but you're a crotchety old guy, right? The reason I did it is because of Christ. I wanted to show Bob what it looks like when a life is changed by Jesus. In our text, David, he's sitting in his throne room and he's thinking about his friend Jonathan. And he says, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, I want you to first stop. Because it's God, not David, that is really the cause of this kindness. I want you to, I want you to think about that. It was God, not me, who was showing the first, well, who was the first cause of the kindness I was showing Bob. If God had not stepped in my life, Bob wouldn't have got a burger. But because of that relationship, things change. And so in the life of David, we see it's not David coming to this moment and saying, let me be a blessing to someone in Saul's house. This is where it starts in chapter 7, where God makes a covenant with David. In verse 11, then David prays this great prayer of gratitude. And then in chapter 8, God gave David victory wherever he went. And then David responds in chapter 9, not in vengeance, which was the custom, but in the truth of Deuteronomy 32:35 that says, vengeance belongs to the Lord. See, David was well in his right to kill Mephibosheth because he was Saul's grandson. That was the custom. That was the tradition, that when the king conquered another king, he would kill all their family so that they wouldn't come back and then try to take the throne. David didn't respond like that because David was a man after God's own heart. And God's heart was this. Vengeance belongs to me, David. You don't have to capitulate to what the tradition is. You can show kindness. You can show love. If vengeance needs to happen, it belongs to me, and I will execute vengeance. So David was free. He was free to, to, to extend kindness. He put aside the need for vengeance because that is what would please the Lord, and it allowed his heart to be open to the promise that he made to Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. David, his victory's intact. He has time now to reflect. He has time now to think about what his next step would be. So he's in his throne room, 
And he's thinking and he says, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David was reflective. He was thoughtful. It's a great picture for us. You see, because many times we're not reflective, we are reactive. If something happens at the job, we react. I come home, if something happens, I react. We as God's people need to be reflective. We need to think about, how am I going to love my wife today? How am I going to love my husband? How am I going to, what are some of the things that I can do in the discipleship of my children? How am I going to handle this hard situation at work? How am I going to do this or that? I need to be reflective because what happens is the word of God then is applied to our heart as we think through these things, these areas of life, and I know how to respond in a way that pleases God. Then we become people after God's own heart. But it happens when we are reflective and not responsive. David was reflective. He thought about, how am I going to, to, to love? Is there anyone that I can show kindness to? I had a friend, and I remember I went to his house, and and he showed me a chair in his living room. And he said, Will, this is my thinking chair. I said, your thinking chair? I was like, tell me a little bit more about that. I, I just think all the time. I don't really have a chair, right, to think. And, and that was my response. And he said, no, no, no. This is the chair that I sit in and I'm thoughtful about the things in my life. And I was like, Wow. This dude was way over my pay grade when it comes to this spiritual stuff. I said, but I, that makes sense. We have to think about our lives. Think about what God has done. Think about how we are going to respond. David thinks and considers and then proceeds. So he asks, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And then the text says, now there was a servant of the house of Saul. His name was Ziba, and they called him to David. So the courtroom, David asked the question. Someone in the courtroom said, yeah, there is a guy named Ziba. I think you should talk to him. So David says, okay, go get Ziba. So they go and they get Ziba, and Ziba comes back. And David says, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kind, the kindness of God to him? I like this phrase, show the kindness of God. Not just kindness, right? The kindness of God. What kind of kindness does God want me to show to him? Not what I think about. He was reflective, so it says, I want to show the kindness of God. And then Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Meshir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. At Lodabar. Then Ziba points him to Mephibosheth at Lodabar. So I said this in the first um, uh, service. 
Mephibosheth is a very difficult word to say. So for the past, and I messed it up again here today. I'll probably mess it up a couple more times. But for the past month, my dog has been Mephibosheth. (laughs) So every time I called him, he was Mephibosheth. And he would look at me confused. I thought I was fella. Nope. (laughs) The people need you to be Mephibosheth. So he served us for the past month. So we are introduced now to Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. And so I want you to think of this. He's in in Lodabar, right? Lodabar, so let me see how I can explain this. Lodabar was like the hood in the desert. So it was a very dark, desolate place, probably a lot of crime. Nobody's going there to look for anybody. And so Mephibosheth, because he is the grandson of Saul, and he knew that, or they knew, the people who were caring for him knew that if David killed Saul, then Mephibosheth's life was in danger. So they put him in hiding. And so he's hiding out in the hood, in a poor part of town, living in somebody's house, probably a room that was also poor, so he didn't have like a lot of resources or anything, and he's afraid because he knew that David might one day find him and kill him. He was lame, so he couldn't get up and go anywhere. Someone had to carry him or take him where he needed to go, so he's this lame man in fear, living in a poor guy's house, hiding out, depressed, scared. And he hears a knock on the door. Mephibosheth, the king would like to see you. I want you to think about that. He's been there probably 15, 20 years, afraid every single day. And the thing that he's afraid of has just happened. He knows what David's going to do to him. He would be put to death. He couldn't work or provide for himself. He's living in someone's room He was hiding, and he was scared. Many of us, if you belong to the family of faith, God found you in Lodabar. Whether you knew it or not, that's where he found you. You were afraid. You were hiding. You were sinful. Sin sin is always pictured as darkness in the scriptures right? And God's forgiveness is light. And we don't like the light as unbelievers. So we're in the darkness. We're in Lodabar. We're afraid. We're afraid to die. We're afraid to live. Whatever that fear is, it's overwhelmed us. This is a picture of who we are before Christ. In Hebrews 2.15, that one of the major fears in, in an unbeliever's life is the fear of death. And that was Mephibosheth's big fear. He shows up, 
Someone shows up at his door, brings Mephibosheth to David. Mephibosheth bows and pays homage and calls himself a dead, dead dog. Little side note, as I was reading this out loud, of course, my dog is Mephibosheth. And when I got to this point, he was like, what? So he bows and he pays homage and calls himself a dead dog. He responds in humility because he understands his dire situation. But when Mephibosheth shows up, it says that David calls him by name. The writer is showing that it's not a conversation between the king and one of his subjects, but between David and Mephibosheth. In the text, if you, if you read in, in verse 4, it says, the king said. And then at the end of verse 4, and Ziba said to the king. And then in verse 5, then King David sent and bought him from the house. David is always addressed as the king until you get to verse 5, and it says, and David said. This is to show us, this is a very person, personable moment. David knew his name. David remembered the love he had for Mephibosheth's father. And he's responding in a loving, caring way. I'm not responding to you as king. I'm responding to you as the friend of your father. Love, love. So the king knows his name. It's personal. He says, do not fear. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, the kindness of God. Here's the picture, though, for us, right? God knows every hair on your head, right? He knows your name. The king knows your name. Our relationship that we have with God is not this ruler who has this group of people that are just masses, but it is a very personal relationship. It's said in in many theological circles, he is our personal savior. God saved us, but he also saved me. He is my king. Jesus is called a friend a brother, very personal language in the scriptures as it relates to the saving power of God in our lives. He wants to show Mephibosheth the kindness of God. Have you been shown the kindness of God? Is that your testimony? That you, you, have, you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life? Is that your testimony? Then if it is, the scriptures tell us in Ephesians 2.12 that we need to remember. Listen, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were in Lodabar alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You need to remember that. And you had no way 
of fixing it. That's why in the song Amazing Grace it says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. David summoned Mephibosheth, treated him with kindness, provided for his needs, gave him a seat at the table, and treated him as a son. And what Mephibosheth thought he was going to get, what he expected, he didn't receive, and what he received, he didn't deserve. My next point, the extravagance of godly kindness. The extravagance of godly kindness. Maybe you're here today and see the need for the fellowship of the king. Respond to that. Receive the gift of fellowship with the king that brings with it the forgiveness of sin. Respond. Think of yourself behind that door like Mephibosheth and you hear the knock. Respond, open. Welcome in. Welcome in that relationship with the king. And finally, the text says this. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servants, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king, commands his servant, so we will do. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons, and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants, so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. David found, summoned, treated him with kindness. He provided for his needs. He gave him a seat at the table, treated him as a son, and gave him back his home, his land, and provided resources for his care. That's extravagant grace. He didn't just say, hey, Mephibosheth, I'm not going to kill you, which Mephibosheth would have been fine with that. That was a win for him, right? But he didn't stop there. Gave him his house back. Treated him as a son. Gave him resources, servants that were going to work the field so he had an income. But more importantly, gave him a seat at the table. And of all David did for him, the main blessing was the fellowship that he extended to Mephibosheth. He ate always at the king's table. This is a portrait that comes in full fruition in Jesus. We are invited to his table to sup with him forever. Jesus is the king that outkings all the other kings. This is a picture of the love and kindness that Jesus extends to us. 
Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received, here it is, reconciliation. We have been brought into relationship with God. We once were far, far off. Now we are in relationship with the King of Kings. We were all unrighteous. We were all spiritually lame in a sense that we couldn't do anything to help ourselves. But God, through Jesus Christ, has done everything necessary to restore us to a place of fellowship, which is our greatest need. Your greatest need is not more money. Your greatest need is not a spouse or a better job or a better city to live in or a nicer car or more friends. Your greatest need is fellowship with the king of glory. The kindness, the kindness that we receive, we then are required to extend that to others as a picture of what has happened in our lives. The baptism was today. That going in the water and coming out is a picture of what has happened to us spiritually. The kindness we show is a picture of what the love of God looks like. Bob may not have came to Christ, but what he did know is that God loves people and provides for them. That God is a God of kindness. And here you go. Kindness beautifies the cross. I think I said that. That is so important. Kindness, God saves we don't do anything to save people, but what we do is we show people once God saves us and gives us his spirit and translates us into the kingdom of light, that now there's a way that we live, we care for others, we love others, we show them what the love and goodness of God looks like. That's why Christians, in the, in the first century, people were getting saved <clears throat> and they were going at night around the town and babies, girl babies, if they was a girl baby, they would throw the baby away. People would walk around the town listening for the cries. They would take the babies to nursing mothers and then have the, adopt the baby. Christians were the ones who started hospitals. Christians were the ones who started orphanages. In the first century, the, the Bible tells us that we are to true religion is taking care of the widow, the orphan, and visiting the prisoner. The reason why prisoners need to be visited is because they didn't feed them every day. You got what you got when you got it. Many prisoners starved to death for committing crimes, not like murder, but if they owed something or any crime that they were in prison for, they could die from starvation or they would freeze to death in the winter. And God said, you Christians, there's a need there. Visit the, the, the prisoner. Make sure that they're taken care of. That's what we are to this, to this world. We are a picture of what the love of God looks like. Even if they don't come to saving faith, 
they should still know that God loves people. Why? Because we love people. <coughs> Thank you. I'll close with this. This invitation that we have to the table today, I want you to think about this. The last sentence in verse 13, look at your Bible. The last sentence in chapter 9, verse 13, says this. And it might be a little different in some translations. He was lame in both his feet. He was lame in both his feet. That's the last sentence. Think about this. If you were to ask Mephibosheth what his greatest need was, he would say to have my feet fixed. When David saw him hobbling in or being carried in or crawling in or however he got to his court, when David saw him, David did not say, bring me the royal doctors. Let's reset his ankles. He didn't say that. David said, I'm going to show you the kindness of God that's going to deal with your core need. That need is not your feet. That need ultimately is relationship and fellowship with the king. David said, I'm going to give you something that trumps everything else. You are going to have dinner with me, Mephibosheth, every day. That's what you need. Fellowship. You need to be welcomed back into the community. You need to leave Lodabar and see the beauty of relationship. That's what we need. And the relationship is a picture of the relationship we have in, with one another. And that's a beautiful thing. But the main thing is a relationship with Jesus. Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you understand what he's done for you? In Ephesians, it says this. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. According to the riches of his grace. It also says in Ephesians that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. This is what we receive when we come to saving faith. So the table tonight or this afternoon, when we come to the table, you think about what Jesus has done for you. That passage in Revelation where he talks about he stands at the door knocking, that's the fellowship with the church that we want to fellowship with Jesus. We get an opportunity every week to take communion as a picture of that fellowship with the King of Kings. And we remember what he has done for us. We remember he came and got us when we weren't looking for him. That he removed that fear of death. So now we don't fear death. 
We love Jesus because he first loved us and what he did for us. And we celebrate that every week at the communion table. Let's pray. Father God, we, we are bound by language and wisdom and communication. We can barely explain the depth and beauty of what it means to be in relationship with you. So Father God, I pray that your spirit applies the truth that we just talked about this morning to each and every heart and that this makes us see you just a little brighter. This make, and I pray that it makes us love you just a little more so that we would be known as a people of kindness. These things we ask and pray in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.